The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. Welcome to uh, Nightlight Radio. Nightlight Radio is a late night call-in show. You are speaking with Pastor Josh. And this is Justine and Jacob over at Lake Bible Fellowship in Portland, Oregon. As always, we're joined by producer Jasmine in the corner. Tonight we have some special guests on top of it. We are not psychologists and this is not therapy. Here we give upfront biblical advice, perspectives, and God's wise counsel to your problems. So for the next two hours, you can call in, text, or message, email us at counseling at abfpdx.org, DM us, PM us, all of that stuff uh, through Instagram or Facebook. Our phone number is 971-208-5290, and our chat profiles are in the link. You can also anonymously hit us up with topics through the job form in our bios. Um, if you or someone you know needs help, talk to us. The camera will be on for the next two hours. However... With that said, my audio is a little bit weird. It is a little hissy. Um, that's really strange audio. Let me uh, turn on the audio for these guys. While we talk. Hey guys. Hi. There Hi. You go. Oh, cool. So, uh, yeah, something's up with the audio on ours on our end here for us. Whoa. That's a little. That's a little better. Okay. So uh, yeah. So like I said, I'm uh, Pastor Josh. Wow, that is really bad. Producer Jasmine's all settling in over there. She's got a. Oh really? Stuff. Yeah. Okay. My mic is it down? Let's mess with something. All right. So. You'll notice in the room that we've got a few extra people here. Uh, in the room with us, we have... Isabella. Okay. We have Isabella. How old are you? 13. All right. And then we have over there... Go ahead, Isaiah. Hi, I'm Isaiah. <laughs> I'm 17. Okay. Go ahead. And I'm Caitlin, and I'm 18. All right. It's going to be great. Where? Okay. What's up? I'm just trying to find the right thing. <laughs> the right setting? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I can't do that for you, I so know. you'll have to Mess tweak it. With it. Um, alright. So tonight is actually episode ten of of Nightlight Radio. And actually we wanted to do something a little bit different tonight. Um something that was just a just a little bit different. We nobody could have really foreseen what was going to happen uh, this week. And well, I guess, has it been a full week? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nobody could have really foreseen what what was going to happen and how uh, the nation would react to it and so on and so forth. Um, so it, it feels like the right thing to address on a show like this where what we're dealing with is 
problem solving and uh, mental health and emotional health and spiritual health, it makes sense to talk about what's going on in the nation, specifically surrounding the protests, um, Floyd and his, and his murder, um, uh, racism, systemic racism, uh, all of these things. And we're going to tackle this um, as carefully as possible. Um, this show is not trying to represent a, uh, we're not trying to represent a complete systematic theology. What we're doing is problem solving uh, with each other and just basically talking through um, how the experiences we've had and how we've dealt with these things and where we think the church's responsibility is. Um, so to that end, we're going to get started with a few questions and like I said we're not going to do our normal format where we like play some games and um, so on and so forth because it's, it's a very it's a fairly serious night um, but we so one of the things that's always important is when you're dealing with something like this is to get a pulse on where things are and one of the best ways to do that is to talk to younger people um, so you know because they're hipper to the lingo. <laughs> so we are going to go ahead and do that. And we have a few questions. Is that okay? Cool. And we have a few. We have a few questions uh, that we want to. I guess we want to start with. Um, so let me scroll down to these questions, and I, I just kind of want to let the conversation generate itself. Um, yeah. So, well, let's see. What do you guys want to hit first? <laughs> like, how how hard of the how hard of a question do you want to hit? I'm not doing anything. What was first that? one? The, f the first one. <laughs> okay. Um. What do you think about George Floyd's death? That's a very general question. Isabella, you, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, I think that it's really sad, and the way he was killed is really messed up, but, um, yeah. I feel bad for a family that has to deal with it, because people can literally just go on the internet and watch a video of, a people, of someone dying, so it's really sad. But I think people wait. People, uh, the way people are handling it are is not appropriate. Like, hey, hold. Just can I hold you? Yeah. Have you hold your thought? Hey, if you guys aren't speaking, can you guys mute your microphones? Because I think that'll help with the sound. Yes. Good. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I think that like peaceful protests are good, but the way that people are like destroying things is really messed up. I like understand why people are like mad, sad, and like annoyed at what happened. I personally kind of sad about it, but I'm not like wanting to destroy things, but I am sad that that happened because that is really sad. But. Anybody else have any thoughts on that? They want it, that they want to share? Um, I believe that his death was indeed murder. <laughs> Um, and I believe that it was like wrong and it was not like it was sinful, uh, his, his murder. Um, 
but I do not believe that. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are being represented by that one instance, and I don't really believe that that is like biblical. I don't really think that that's how people's minds should be. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hate going around because of that death. Um, yeah. when, when you say a lot of people's uh, a lot of people are being represented, can you be more specific? A lot of hate against um, the like quote unquote oppressors, like <laughs> the majority of, of like uh, okay, whoops, I met cops that are of the majority. Um, should have okay. said that first. Um, just like cops in general, a lot of people are very anti-cop right now, um, especially ones that are of the majority of, of white male cops. Um, and yeah, I think that that's really feeding, like, stoking the, the flames of hate, and there's a lot of, like, tension going around because of that. Though I do think that it was, like, uh, wrong with him. I, again, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of hate going around that, uh, is pointed in the wrong direction. You got thoughts on that, Caitlin? Yeah, um, I'll try and keep it simple, but I think that it was clearly murder and we should be analyzing it from the Christian perspective of justice. Uh, one of my favorite videos on this was done by Apologia Studios and it's just titled, was George Floyd murdered? And the, the answer in the first minute, and it's like, yes, it was, but here's why. And, we have two to three witnesses that are independent, and it's clear that he was not a threat to the, the officers. He was saying he couldn't breathe. He was, his um, blood to his brain is probably what got cut off. Um, and so it's like, clearly it was murder. And it's, I think the thing it's most representative of is the injustice and the depravity of the human heart. Um, and I think a lot of people are seeing it as representative of larger police brutality. Um, I'm not sure that we can conclude that there was racism yet because there didn't seem to be any um, indication of that. And I don't think that's necessary to uh, be able to decry it as a horrible, horrible thing that should not be accepted. Um, yeah, and I, I think we're going to get a lot more into why this instance was elevated so much. But I, I think something that's worthwhile to point out is that I haven't heard a single person that thinks that George Floyd's death was not murder, or that it was somehow justified because it's just so blatantly evil. And I think if we're able to recognize that, um, that can be unifying rather than um, getting distracted with other things. I think being able to unify around that is important. Jacob, you're adjusting that mic. Is We're having sound? some issues with Jake's mic. It's a right, little bit loud. On, Same with mine. <laughs> okay, okay. Whoa, okay, there we are. I'm back in. Sorry, yeah, Jacob's mic is just a bit loud. Um, yeah, thanks, you guys. Um, have what have you what have you guys been seeing? Like, what have you guys like? You mentioned anti anti cop stuff, Isaiah, and I I saw like um, a sign. I couldn't remember what the sign was, but it it was like basically kill all cops but i'm wondering what you guys are seeing i'm not really on the social medias like other people are um yeah what are you guys what are you guys seeing i've been, I've been invited to sign petitions um that would abolish or defund the police system in seattle i'm from i'm at utah 
when I, so when there's not a pandemic. Um, so I normally up in Seattle. Um, and yeah, I've been invited to sign a petition that would defund the police. And I've been invited to sign a petition that would, uh, we have, since UW has 40,000 students and we're huge, um, actually more than that, but we have our own police department and I was invited to sign a petition that would remove weapons from the police, from the UW police and would not allow the UW police to call in the Seattle PD. Uh, and so I, I'm really concerned about this. Those don't really make sense given um, reality. Like, it's just really concerning to me because I'm not allowed to, as a civilian to carry a gun on a campus at UW, um, which is another discussion. But if I'm not allowed to have it and the UW PD can't have a gun and the Seattle Police Department aren't allowed to come onto campus. I, I don't know what's gonna happen if there's an active shooter and that actually gets impl implemented. Um, so it, it seems like there's a lot of dialogue that has become very, um, I don't like using this word because it doesn't say a lot usually, but a lot of radical ideas are now being like being pushed through the protests and through the riots. And I don't think they'll be accepted now, but uh, the fact that it's being pushed, I think it's the direction our, our society is moving and it's pretty concerning. I'm not a huge fan of anarchy. Mm. You two have anything you want to say? Like, what have you, what have you guys been seeing? Seeing where I can slide this way, and it just has like news, so I've been like, keeping up like seeing it, like if there's any protests that day, or like what's going on that day, just so I know what. Here, speaking to the mic. To expect, and then sometimes <laughs> when I get to, I watch the news just to see like if it's staying peaceful or whatever. Um, and then also like I watch, like I've seen the video of what happened, so I've like seen that and just like news i guess on my phone pops up sometimes so what are they saying jasmine can you go to the soundboard turn yeah. her turn her gain up can you turn off my mic yes there you go mostly it's about the protests going on like it's not really like it doesn't really talk about like um what's going on like with the police specifically but more about the protests so it's like I don't know, like, different things, like, of what happened the day before with the protests, or, like, if it turned into a riot, or things like that, and, like, sometimes about, like, how police are getting a lot of hate base, like, kind of know that because, like, it's everywhere, <laughs> so it's really easy just to, like, see that, but, yeah. Hmm. What about you, Isaiah? Um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff, mostly on, like, social medias, like, people posting stuff, um, just very, very much anti-cop. I feel like, uh, right now, um, like, people are definitely putting in, like, a mindset where it's, like, uh, us versus, like, us being the people versus, like, the system. Um, and definitely cops are, like, all put on that other side, and, like, a lot of, a lot of people are posting, you know, like, uh, get rid of cops, or, or, um, well, I saw one post that was, like, vote black, not red and blue, or something like that, um, which was really weird, and kind of, anyway, um, a lot of just, uh, uh police hate right now, just for the, the general, like, the general police department, 
Um, and yeah, a lot of talk about like taking power away from police departments and and stuff because of the the incidents that happened. Can I? So let me ask, um, especially you two, um, because you two, like myself, are not exactly white. <laughs> so we're you know we're we're minorities. Um, let me ask, is it your guys's impression that the, that the killing of, um, Floyd is that the murder of Floyd was racially motivated or is like symptomatic of a systemic racism? What's, what's your guys's impression? Um, just, just from your circles. It's a, be honest, you know? Um, of a lot of things going around um, because I've I've come to a few false false news people are, are spreading but, but I've seen a lot of uh, a news saying that uh, this was not his first instance basically with uh, with um, like firing his weapon at, at unarmed uh, unarmed people of, of color who's are um, you talking about Chauvin the, um, yes. the okay the policeman yeah yes um, so I've seen a few instances of that but honestly I don't think that like I don't think I have enough information to make that that call. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it it very well could have been his personal like uh, hate, but uh, it also it also very like it could have been just a institutionalized hate. Like I, I or it could have just been like some sort of other instance. I really don't don't know. I feel like I don't have enough information for that. Okay, what do you think, Isabel? I don't really know, because I feel like when he did that, he was just really mad, so it could have been a lot of things. Like, he could have just not been thinking while he was doing it. He could have, like, I don't know. I don't really know, but I do know, yeah, I also heard that he has had other incidences with, like, just doing different things that weren't exactly what he was supposed to be doing. Yeah. So, I don't really know, but it's, I guess, a possibility but i don't know for sure well okay so let me ask another question and obviously you guys feel free to chime in you too caitlin um but do you feel a cultural pressure to view it as a hate crime i have uh something to say about that i just don't really know um how to take like I thought of it with what you said, how he was angry. But looking at the video, he seemed really calm to me. And was like even looking at people who were filming him doing it and just didn't really have a whole lot of emotion. Um, if anything, he looked confused in my mind. Are you talking about the policeman? Colvin? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and that kind of struck me as weird because I wasn't sure um, how to take that. Um, it just seemed like everything was moving really slow. But then on top of it, I've seen some posts where, I don't know how believable it is, but apparently Floyd and that cop went to the same club or something, and there was some sort of jealousy. So I don't know if that has anything to do Wait, with the Wait, are you talking about, like, conspiracy theories? I don't. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> okay, I don't know about that. I just It was some from a post I read. But it had videos and stuff. But oh, the internet. 
Yeah, I think. Well, yeah. I think that I, I think know. that that's a thing that there's there is a lot of misinformation going on. But so back to my question: What do you think? Do you think? Do you feel like there is a pressure on you to make a decision that this is a racially motivated crime, or do you f- like? Because you both said, "I don't really know. I don't know what the evidence shows." But do you think that there's a pressure on you to view it as racially motivated, or do you think that that it, that you know it's not really a pressure? It's just kind of, you know, the most obvious conclusion, and everyone's taking issue. Um, I think that right now, I definitely I think there's a lot of that going around uh, with people like wanting everyone to like that unity mindset of like everyone thinks this way and if you're if you don't then you're a part of the enemy like, yeah well, there's a lot of hate going around for people that are kind of neutral about it like they mm-hmm. don't know if it's racial or if there should be writing like people are, are looked at whether they're against that in any, any way or or neutral like they're definitely put on the other side of like the like uh, the us versus them like put with the institute um and yeah I've, I've talked to a few friends about it and um have been like accused of, of being like racist myself or accused of, of, um, of not like wanting to stand up for what's, you know, what they believe is right or what I should believe is right. Um, like in terms of like the, the racial stuff that's going on with that and, uh, and the, the oppression that is, uh, allegedly there. Hmm. What about you? Um, I think that people are definitely, like, not, like, personally going after people, but kind of just, like, making comments and stuff that are trying to, like, get people to, like, agree with them and, like, get in that circle of, like, that's what happened, like, he was racist or whatever. I mean, I personally don't know, and I don't, like, I haven't had anyone, like, personally, like, say, like, you should do this, but I definitely think there's, like, a thing going around where they're trying to, like, convince people or, like, do things that slightly make them think that that's what's going on. Hmm. Do you, and so this is to anybody, um, do you see it, so there's, there's two basic components, I suppose, to what seems to be going on, socially speaking. One is that it's a racially motivated crime. Um, the other is, so it's a systemic racism. The other is that it, it demonstrates the overreach of police and the um, inability to trust the police forces. So there's like police brutality. Um, do you what do you what do you guys think is the relationship between the two and do you feel like there is um just like i asked about racism do you feel like there's a push to view this as um or have you felt the pressure specifically i should ask to view this uh as essentially evidence that all police are corrupt or um do you think that that is really sort of a vocal minority that's that's saying that. Like, have you felt the push I, to view I, it? Go ahead. I, I don't know how representative my 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 social media feeds are. Um, I don't have a ton of people that I follow, but I have been uh, did actually get kind of called out in a dialogue on Facebook um, because I challenged that narrative um, that systemic injustice well actually what i was specifically addressing was that systemic injustice regardless of if it exists that racism uh needs to be best addressed by a specific worldview 
um, that I believe is contrary to Christianity. Um, and I can get into that more later, but, um, yeah, I, I definitely see the push from, from my, from at least from my perspective, um, for three things. I think one, yeah, to call it a race issue, to call what was done a race issue, which it sounds like there could be some evidence of, um, but I don't think that's necessary to call it a terrible murder and a terrible injustice. Um, secondly, to then move and say that it's a systemic injustice and it's representative of the whole system being at fault. And then third, to then doubt law enforcement and to put all of America at blame for it. Right. Um, and I think, honestly, if you see it as systemic injustice to the extent that all of the foundations of the police system is for the preservation of inequality and the oppression of, of especially black people, in particular, then I do see why there would be riots. I do see why there would be a let's abolish the police. Because if it's at its core and in all ways structured around the systemic injustice, then there isn't ways that you can reform. Reform would never be sufficient for that. Um, so that's why I think that rhetoric goes that direction. And we've seen so many riots and looting and, and burning because revolution is the only answer if it's corrupt from the inside out um, at every level. But um, I think we, we do need to have clear evidence and be able to have a dialogue of, is that really the case or is there just um, issues with the system? Because I do think that there can be the argument that there's issues with the system, um, but I don't see it as everything is focused around um, the oppression of minorities and of um, people of color, because I, I feel like that's, that's quite a, a heavy burden of proof. And I don't think I've, I've been convinced of that yet. Um, and, but yeah, so that's why I, 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 that's why I see those things as connected between like, if, if all of the police system is structured around oppression, then you should doubt the police officers. But if that's not the case, then, then there's something wrong with that. Um, yeah, that's just my take. Yeah. So there's, there's four basic mine, well, not minority. There's four basic, uh, like ethnic groups represented in this dialogue at the moment. Um, you know, we've got whites and black and what would you call yourself? South American, Nicaraguan? What would you, what would you call yourself, Isaiah? He's typing something. Oh, Turn on mute his mic. Uh, I've got Nicaraguan blood in me, but I probably just call myself brown. Okay. <laughs> and then I, of course, am Filipino. Um, so there, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty ethnically diverse background in this conversation. Um, I guess my question is what is like kind of moving away from the Floyd discussion, obviously it's a touch, it's a touch point, but what is your guys's experience with racism? Um, and, and let me add to that because we are having a Christian discussion from a Christian worldview. Let's add to it within the church, you know, be specific. Have you experienced racism in the church? Um, and outside the church, what is your experience with that? And what are your thoughts on that? Is there a systemic issue? Does the, does the man always look down on the minority? Like what's, what's your guys' thoughts on that? Like what's your, what's your experience? And, and for the record, I, I believe that white people have as much of uh, the ability to comment in this as, as anybody else. So feel free to comment you white people. Ha, ha, ha.
Um, I haven't experienced any, like, racism in the church, but when I went to public school, um, I was kind of just around a lot, a lot of, like, mixed or black people, so I was kind of, like, around that, like, I guess, I don't know, like, stereotype, but not a stereotype? I don't even know how to explain it, but I was around that. Demographic? Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, should I be acting this way? But then I didn't but like I was definitely around that a lot in public school so I definitely experienced like that type of I don't know I don't really know how to explain it but I was around that a lot but I never felt like no one's ever like personally said like you should be acting this way because you're this color or that color like never experienced that but I have been around that culture a lot have you have you experienced uh people expecting you like maybe not saying to you that you should be acting this way, but expecting that you did, and then being surprised when you didn't? Um, I don't think, I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Maybe, I don't know. I didn't really, like, pay attention to what people, like, expected how, of me to act. I was just mostly trying to figure out my life. And how to fit in and stuff, but yeah, yeah. Well, and you're pretty young. Yeah. So, we'll we'll do ageism here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's our next show. <laughs> what about what about the rest of you guys? What's your experience been with with? Uh, you said you didn't experience it within the church, or you haven't? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, what about the rest of you guys? What's your experience with that? And I, th- I think this is a valuable question specifically because there is right now, and I know Caitlin's probably jumping at the bit to talk about this, but there is right now a push within a lot of churches. Um, one, of the, one of the ones that I've seen a lot of push in is within the Southern Baptist Convention specifically. But there's a lot of push within a lot of churches to adopt... Um, you know, some key phrases and ideologies that accept the idea that the church is inherently racist. Um, And so, you know, I I think it's, I mean, as a diverse community here having this conversation, like, what do you think? Um, I haven't really witnessed civically racism in the church uh, firsthand, but, um, I was talking to a few friends of mine just with everything going on and uh, my friend Lily goes to, uh, I think it's Salt. It's okay, you don't need to name names if you're gonna. Something, (laughs) something, like somewhere. Um, And uh, basically they were having trouble because they, uh, like a lot of, apparently a lot of of churches in that area that were around them have chosen to like riot as a church. Interesting. And uh, yeah, and uh, her church wasn't doing that because they they just didn't want to participate in that. Um, but yeah, they were kind of like made comments to that church that they were not being like uh, like godly because they were not standing for the injustice, um, which is really interesting to me. And I didn't really expect anything like that. I was, but um, yeah, that was going on, and there was a lot of talk of like because their their congregation is mainly white. Um, I think it's like exclusively white. Um, if not, 
Not that they only... They yeah, they're exclusively white. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I get it. That's not what you're trying to say, but their demographic is 100% white. That's what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Um, and, yeah, they didn't choose to, uh, to do that. Um, and it was kind of like, there was, like, comments made to that church uh, that she was talking about where, like, they were, like, that they were representing the church as being racist and that church that weren't writing were representing, like, a racist church. Um, so I've seen talk about that happening, uh, a bit, and, uh, I mean, yeah, I think that's all I really have to say with racism in particular to the church. Okay. What about the rest of you guys? Let's hear from some of our white friends here. I don't know, I'm just trying to think of a... racism in the church but um yeah I don't really have anything but uh, I have been at work with lots of different minorities and I've had lots of friends and I've been around the world um and I guess I was just introduced to that at a later age. Um, introduced to? Just the oppression that seems to be apparent in the country. Mm, okay. And um, maybe that's just because I was ignorant as a child and wasn't really revealed a whole lot to me. And... Um, so I think that helps as to me not being able to see it. And then once I did see it, I felt really terrible about that, um, that that was still a thing. Cause, like I, like I knew from history class and whatever that that was going on um, back in the 60s and things like that with MLK and uh, Malcolm X and even like Tupac would talk about those things. That's all I knew. But then, when I went into the Navy, I found that it was still very real. Um, so you thought, like, you thought it was all gone as you're listening to, like, one of your favorite rappers who is black, and you don't think anything of that, because, you know, it was all gone. Yeah, I didn't think it was a relevant thing anymore. Hmm. I didn't think that, that, because the news wouldn't even talk about it, but... You know, like, that was regular news in different parts of the world. Sure. That was happening all the time. So what was it in your travels, like when you were in the military or whatever, what was it in your travels that led you to come to the conclusion that, hey, this is actually a real problem still? Meeting my friends and knowing where they came from. So they, they had different backgrounds, so they could inform you, hey, this was a, this is a real thing that we deal yeah. with all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and... Um, It was like a normal everyday thing. Um, and so around that time, uh, movies like Straight Outta Compton started coming out and the Notorious B.I.G., like all those movies started coming out and you could see it then um, in those films. But now, you know, fast forward, what, three or four years later, 
um, less than a decade, and it's pretty much all you hear about nowadays. Hmm. You can't really escape it. Um, and like I said, just 15 years ago, I had no idea it was even happening. Do you think that's because it's grown um, you know, and gotten more pervasive, or it's just gotten more public, or what do you think? I think it's gotten more public. I don't think that it's grown. I think that it was as bad as it is um, throughout different parts of the country, and now those things are starting to get thrown into the spotlight, and now other parts are starting to catch that bandwagon and show um, those things that are happening more and more and it's starting to become more of a discussion. I also think it's become less acceptable, uh, at least in the public sphere, in the mainstream media. Um, it's basically, if someone accuses you of racism and you're a public figure, like, you're done. <laughs> like, like, you're done. Um, and so, like, I appreciate that we take it with a lot more seriousness. Um, yeah, I mean, I waited until now to, to say anything because I honestly had a pretty sheltered upbringing. Um, I grew up in the suburbs and um, went to a church that was, again, like Isaiah's, the one Isaiah mentioned, um, very white. And so we just didn't really talk about it much. But yeah, like when I was in school and stuff, um, we actually had a unit on segregation in third grade. And my teacher did a brilliant job of it. She had us divided up by uh, if we could snap or not. Mm. And she literally divided the classroom in half mm -hmm. to show us like how absurd it was and how it had us go to different drinking fountains and we could talk to each other like, at recess. And it was really impactful and it just made me like so naturally abhorrent of racism. Um, I think for a while I just, I had kind of like the the colorblind idea where it's like oh well i just don't i don't see people as different um i see how a lot of people talk about that and it's like well then you're not understanding who i actually am and where i'm coming from so i i, I understand that and i really want to be able to understand people better and how, how a lot of people grow up very differently than me um because i value that and i want to understand and care for people better um but i do think for the most part it was a pretty positive uh upbringing not <laughs> Not just being taught that we're all we're all equal. We're all the fundamentally the same, made in the image of God. And, um, so I, I really appreciate that. And because of that, I honestly I was on the lookout for it, but I didn't. I don't think I can remember seeing someone act racistly towards another. Um, so yeah, I speaking about like uh, uh, I don't know. Like what, what you went through in elementary school, you know, when they were doing uh, a social experiment, essentially. Um, <laughs> did they let you know that it was a social experiment? Did they let you know they were they were teaching you that way? No. Uh, I think we probably knew some. We knew something was up, but um, she used, she did it the whole day. And back in elementary school, you're all you're in one classroom the whole day. Right. And so throughout maths, throughout science, we were separated. Um, and she and I loved it the way she did it. Cause she's like, nope, separate but equal. We could tell like one group had to go. The one on one side of the classroom had to walk way farther to the drinking fountain into the bathrooms. Right. And one group had a way larger side of the classroom. And then as we were doing it, she was also teaching us about the segregation and the, the segregation era and the civil rights movement, so we could see it 
and really understand it. And so she did end up bringing them together, of course. Yeah. Um, and we had a, a whole celebration. We tore the wall down, which is kind of mixing two things. But basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I was in fifth grade, I think it was fifth grade, and they did it with eye color. And mm-hmm. it was if you had brown eyes. So when you when you came in that day, they revealed a new thing to us saying that, you know, science had revealed that uh, brown eyes uh, basically were dumber and blue eyes were smarter and that blue eyes needed you know this type of attention brown eyes needed this type of attention and then they did the whole thing they segregated us and so on and so forth without telling us anything about it and then by midday by lunchtime they switched it and they came back yeah they came Mm -hmm. back and they said uh well science has now said that the brown eyes are smarter (laughs) but i remember distinctly because I'm that guy. And I remember distinctly that people were angry about it and people were crying about it. And at lunchtime, we got together and people were like, like practically coming to blows, you know, over it. And we're talking kids, but we're talking, you know, essentially fifth graders. So, you know, preteens. Um, and I remember organizing a little... <laughs> I remember organizing a little, uh, you know, like letter and everybody signed it saying like, you know, we don't agree with this. This is not okay. And then when they switched it, I remember that almost everybody who signed that letter was more than happy, more than happy to be fine with the new science that now said that they were, uh, you know, that they were better. And they were like, see, we got you. And uh, that was the lesson for me, that the human heart mm-hmm. is wicked. That's yeah. what it is. I, I just want to, sorry, my mic is really loud. I think that's a good lesson as well. Um, mine ended up actually being slightly more positive than that. We organized protests <laughs> and had si- we carry signs and would violate the, the bathroom or the drinking fountain policies. <laughs> I just want to, oh my gosh, my mic is so loud. <laughs> I just want to know, can you, were you on the snapping side or the non-snapping side? Um, I was on the snapping side, but then she reversed it, and then I was on the better side, and we were still protesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I've had, I've had my share of experiences with racism, not too much directed at me, although when I went to the South... And I was hanging out in the South for a little bit. There was, there were some areas where it was like, I probably shouldn't go into this this area, you know. And you'd get these looks, especially because my wife is white, and so there was sort of, uh, I I've seen that before, um, some like interracial looks. Um, my parents are also interracial, so I've heard stories about that when I went to the Philippines. Interestingly enough, I I had some, let's call it playful discrimination, uh, because I was white, not dark, right? <laughs> so like here, I'm dark and not white, but in the Philippines, I'm white and not dark. And so there's a lot of, you know, uh, making fun of or... And like I say, I say it playful because 
I really do believe that there wasn't necessarily mal-intent behind it, but there was definitely, you know, discrimination in prices and, like, things like that, or they would purposefully leave you out of certain things or, um, you know, and it wasn't everybody, but it was there, you know. I've experienced it before. Here in the church, um, I've experienced it in what some people might view as reverse, but I don't view it as reverse. Um, I just think it's racism. And so when I say reverse, what I mean is I've had members of the church who were African-American twice, I think, separately from each other. Um, But the most recent one was probably the most aggressive of them who was uh, calling me white-minded because I held him accountable to scripture and was telling me that, was and wrote a letter when he left the church. He, he wrote a letter saying that, um, to the whole church, saying that the leadership of our church was racist because we didn't listen to his input um, because it didn't come from a lens of scripture and so what we were doing is we were shunting and, and um, we were uh, oppressing his identity, his, his ability to speak from his cultural background. That was not okay within our church. And so therefore we were oppressing, uh, we were oppressing his quote-unquote African-American heritage. And I say quote-unquote because ethnicities aren't monolithic. So what I mean by that is Different white people have different experiences and different black people have different experiences. There's not one way to be black and there's not one way to be white and there's not one way to be Filipino. And so I just basically flat out reject that concept. Um, There's not, here, I'll even say this. There's not even one way to be Christian. Um, There are certain things you know, there are certain identi- identification markers, let's call it. Um, but um, there's a lot of freedom in our humanity that God gives us. And so I would call that racism. I would say that it was racism to say that essentially we were oppressing him on the basis of his race because we were white-minded. Um, so I've experienced it that way as well. Um and I've, I've had people say that, you know, uh, we don't have enough minorities. I've had this happen. I've had people say that Aletheia Bible Fellowship in Portland, Oregon, doesn't have enough minorities. But what they really meant was that we don't have enough black people. Um, because the truth is, is that our church is really ethnically diverse, but we don't have a lot of black people. Um, so, you know somehow the other minorities don't matter. (laughs) Um, So anyway, I've experienced racism that way. And and again, some people would call it reverse racism. Some people would say it's not racism at all, but I think it's racism. Um, Yeah, so that's my experience with it. And um, I don't know, does anybody else want to, just seeing you've been 100% silent. Do you have anything that you're interested in saying? Um... Yeah, so my experience with racism, like, I guess was through somebody else? I don't know. I dated a black guy, and um, when I was, like, 
telling somebody that I had a boyfriend that was a black guy, they were very, uh, there's a lot of stereotypes thrown around like, oh, you shouldn't date them because they'll like hurt you or they'll, they won't like work or like all these different things. And I was like really surprised by what this person was saying and it was really hard for me to hear. Um, and so that was, that was really sad. Um, just like hearing someone talk about that. And that was, you know, that was like just three years ago that that happened. Um, and then when we would like walk down the street and just be like holding hands, like we would get like scoffed at or like just really dirty looks and um, things like that. And I just, I didn't, you know, being honest, I didn't realize how bad it really was until I um, dated him. So, I mean, like that's been my really only experience. That reminds me of, uh, I had this, <laughs> I had this experience. I went to the South to visit some people in my wife's family <laughs> and this guy so he i guess i guess he's her great i don't know he's he's an older member an older gentleman of of her family and he uh so i come i cut so we go to his house and when i say the south i mean like the deep south okay uh, I think it was like, you know, Arkansas or Tennessee or something, you know, something like that, the deep South. And we're driving into the deep country into non-paved roads and we go up to his house and he gets out and he's in a wife beater and, and, you know, smoking a cigarette. And he just kind of looks like he's been on drugs his whole life. Now, I don't, I mean, I don't know if he is, but you know, he, he has that look to him, a stereotypical, you know, what you would describe of like the Appalachian hillbilly sort of thing. And he gets, I get out of the car to meet him, you know, the, the, the husband that he, he's never met. And he <laughs> refers to me. Well, so he, he calls me a sand N word and then, uh, and asks me and he says, your name is Josh. I feel like it should be Jose or something like that, you know, like, and, and, and he's just being like really racist to, to me and, um, like nonchalantly, you know, like that's just how things are. And, and I joked with him about the ridiculousness of that statement, uh, because like, I personally am not offended. Um, I just think it just kind of shows how dumb he is. Um, you know, and he was a nice enough guy once you got past his racist statements, which he would make, but in terms of like his treatment of me, it was fine. His thoughts on me didn't seem to be the greatest, but his treatment of me was fine. And so, you know, yeah, I've, I've experienced it. Um, but obviously for me, it hasn't been a, a daily, it hasn't been a daily living sort of thing, you know? Um, how like what's your guys's impression 
What's your guys' impression of that in regard to your like daily life? Do you see it on the on the daily level in your own life or in the like uh, I guess social circles that you follow? Um, I would say that like um, I don't see well. I do see some some racism at, at my school, um, at a public school, uh, Oregon City High School, um, but it's it's not like like a daily a daily thing. I think I experience more like um, like people believe I I should think a certain way um, because I'm brown, or that if I don't, I like kind of betray my my heritage. Um, and what I mean by that is like. Uh, like people talk about like um, even like the riots that are going on right now. Like I, I I've said things like I'm not really sure if it's like uh, been a, a racism thing. Like I don't I feel like I have enough facts to make that assumption. And when I make comments like that, a lot of people have like said like you know you should be better than that. Like knowing like what you do, like being in the position that you are, like represented on brown, I should I should know that that that, that is, and I should see that. Um, or I had like comments like, um, <clears throat> like that I should be like aware of like certain topics. Like there was like a, like a shooting of like a, a, a brown kid, like shot up like a school in, in, in the state and someone like asked me if I knew about it. And I, I said, no. And, and they basically were like, why don't you know about that? Like you being brown, you should know about that. <laughs> Like that's representing the people you should you should be aware of those things and um, obviously I wasn't because I, I didn't keep up with it right away. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see more of that on a daily basis than than direct you know like racism. Like I'll see things like you know if there's like one burger left or one taco, I'm gonna get the taco. But I'm yeah I'm cool with that. I like tacos. But like I don't see like a lot of um, direct racism. I think that our school is pretty good about about like at least pretty harsh to people that are directly racist and so there's not a lot of that left hmm um yeah what uh I, you know i haven't said this yet during the i haven't said this yet during the show but let me throw out there that our number is 9712085290 so if you want to call and and uh, call in and tell Isaiah that he's a sellout. The number is 971-208-5290. And we're willing to talk about it, um, but we are, you know, we're taking a Christian perspective and just kind of figuring out what everybody's experiences are. Um, how are you guys feeling about where society is heading with what, what you see? Does it scare you? Do you think it's the right direction or the wrong direction? Even given, let's like let's just let's just say that everybody who's angry is right. Do you think it's the right direction or the wrong direction? Does it scare you? Um, what do you guys think? I can start this off if that's okay. Sure. Um I should say us heading towards uh, anarchy and total or totalitarianism um, with the riots. Like, if you're rioting, like you're either going to end in revolution or you're going to end with the military coming in with the way things have been going. 
and I don't really want either of those. Um, I, a violent revolution is not what I see us needing right now. Um, I've actually had some interesting dialogues with um, a couple of my friends recently about is it the Christian response to ever participate in a revolution, even something like the American Revolution, um, and like theories about war and such. Um, but I'm not sure that there's enough cohesiveness that it would be towards a revolution where we actually replace the system with something new. Uh, it seems like a lot of the riots are just asking for anarchy. I mean, like if you're trying to defund and abolish the police system, I I don't know what you're going to do with that, like, except have anarchy, um, which is concerning. And then um, having even peaceful protests cracked down, I think that's also concerning. That's, that's been happening for a while, and I don't think either of those are good or appropriate responses. Um, I think it's really, it is really concerning that people aren't able to express their voices or, and uh, from a governmental perspective, a lot of times that's been silenced recently. Um, but I also think it's concerning that people don't feel like they can express their voices peacefully and be heard. Um, I think both of those are recipes for disaster. Um, and I mean, let's be honest, being cooped up in your house for two months and losing a job <laughs> and there being a pandemic, like, let's be honest, there's a lot of things that were leading to this. Like, there's a lot of reasons yeah. that this, this ignited so much. Um, we, we, were, we were basically asking for something to get ignited. Uh, um, and so there's a lot leading into it. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I, I do still have a great hope because my God is sovereign uh, and my God is good. And so he has a plan for all of this. Uh, it is chaos, perhaps. Um, I hope that it's not, <laughs> I hope it's not the end. Um, it does seem quite chaotic right now, but regardless of what actually happens and what the actual outcome is, I do know that, that Christ is still reigning and he's still sitting on the throne. And so that's, that gives me peace throughout this. Isabella, what do you think? You're the youngest in the group. So in theory, you have the most to lose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no pressure. How what? do I have the most to lose? Because you still have the most life ahead of you. You have the most future to keep the statement. Somebody like Pastor Monty on Truth Time, you know, he's only got a good 10 years left. So he's already lived most of his life. He can say whatever he wants. <laughs> but you, you have a lot to, you know, you got a lot at stake here. So, like, mm, does this, does this, know. does this scare you? Like, what do you think? I definitely think it's very crazy right now and that what's going on. It could lead to, like, like, is, isn't going in a good direction, I feel like, with all the riots and just all the... I don't know. I guess, like, not angry people, but, like, yeah, I guess angry, like, people and, like, all that. But I, I don't know. I'm not necessarily scared yet. I might get scared later, but I'm not scared right now, personally. Okay. Yeah, what do you think, Isaiah? Um... Yeah, I think it's a little scary, just the big movement of hate right now, and a lot of a lot of time I feel like people are, are like, like it's good, right now it's looked at as like good and like rightful to hate, like to hate the institute, to hate Trump, to hate 
um, cops, you know, to hate the, the oppressors. Um, and just that, like, uh, divide of, of neutral and um, trying to figure it out versus, uh, like, 100% there and, like, hateful. Um, I think that that is kind of scary, uh, looking at that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that, again, I just mentioned it, but I think that that divide is, is also scary. Um, and I think that, uh, that that environment of, of, uh, of protests and, again, of, like, like continuing to stoke that that hate and like encouraging hate is is um something that's around a lot right now and is concerning for just the future of that and what it'll come like caitlin was saying like this will most likely end in two extremes you know i don't want to see either of those things um yeah um tiffany Tiffany Perry says on our Facebook feed, she says, the YouTube channel Odd Man Out is a channel that does social experiments where you can see seven random people, six of which who are blank, so it could be black or feminist or Mexican or, you know, whatever, and then one liar who's pretending to be blank, you know, pretending to be like the others, um, and then the six try to figure out who is who is that thing? It tries to see the stereotypes that people have. Um, so that's, I guess she's saying, check that out if that's interesting to you guys. Um, okay, so let's... We have uh, some comments on YouTube. Oh, okay. That I've just seen. G-Man G says, if you're not participating in the stock market, you are outside being tear gassed. If you are, you've doubled your money in the last 15 weeks. This isn't about racism. This is about financial insolvency. Interesting. And then he says, financial insolvency doesn't taste as good as racism. Mm. So that's, what do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, I think that there's some truth to it that oftentimes racism masks itself, uh, or rather racism masks an actual socioeconomic um, prejudice. Uh, but, Yeah. <laughs> let's i want to switch gears so i i do think that's an interesting comment though g man g is that yes, g man that g that is who it is um uh but yeah i do think that's an interesting comment um i guess we should did you do we have anything on instagram no okay no one's uh, even watching it okay there, there you go <laughs> Um, okay. We're doing good on the other one. Hey, remember to uh, like and subscribe our, our feed. Normally what we do on this show, and let me just rep the number again. The number for our show, if you want to talk to us directly, you can text us, is 971-208-5290. This is Nightlight Radio. And what we normally do on this show is we problem solve. So this is a problem solving show from a biblical perspective. Um... I'm a biblical counselor and a pastor for almost 20 years. This guy right here, I don't know if you can see me in the camera. Yeah, you I'm can. I'm pointing. I'm pointing. To yeah, there you go. So Jacob and... I am Jacob Browning. Okay. So <laughs> Jacob... explanatory. So Jacob and his uh, sister over here are studying to be chaplains for the church, dealing with biblical counseling. Um, and so, and then it's just producer Jasmine. Producer Jasmine just is. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but um, we, so normally what we do on this show is problem solving. And we've been talking a lot just kind of about the, the infrastructure of what's going on. But what I want to take a second to do here is pivot into the problem solving discussion and just ask, um, so what do you guys do with this? 
What do we do with this whole um, setup uh, that we find ourselves in, this whole situation? Um, where it seems like every night, at least in Portland, Oregon, there's some sort of there's some there's some sort of demonstration. Um, fortunately, we've been relatively relatively peaceful here in Portland, Oregon, um, but I know that it, other places have not been so fortunate. So, what do we do when we see systemic racism taking place? What do we do when we see a murder? Um, you know, essentially a snuff film. What do we do when we see a murder, you know, and we can't stop our kids from seeing this, you know, we, you can't protect them that way. In fact, you know who I learned about uh, the video from? I, th- I think I learned about it from Isabella. So, um, you know, like when I'm learning the news because the news comes so quickly and the news is so heinous, uh, like I'm learning it from young people they they're now the gatekeepers of information because they're connected that way um and they're saying you know this is what we're experiencing and the the people in this room you know are and virtually in this room are you know under 30 and that's like the that's the demographic of protesters out there you know like that's what's that's what's happening is you got a bunch of young people who are very very frustrated so let's problem solve for a second let's talk about what the difficulties are in this situation and what it is that we face especially as christians so i guess um let me just throw out there my my first basic question is um assuming that systemic racism is real and just straight up like giving everybody the benefit of the doubt systemic racism is real police oppression is real uh and what happened with george floyd was absolute outright first degree murder let's give everyone the benefit of well let's not give <laughs> let's not give the institution the benefit of the doubt but let's assume that those things actually are are the absolute case let's not argue about them let's talk about what our christian response is to be so what is the biggest difficulty um, in giving a Christian response? What do you think? Well, um, the first thing that I did when I was asked about this or talked about this was I went to Ephesians 1 and um, specifically three through 14 and I'll read it right here it says praise to be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love he predestined us for his adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he had made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ." In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the 
might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And Unpack that for us, Jake. Basically, what this is saying is that God has and had a plan throughout time and space for those who accepted his sacrifice and gave um, his life to um, for those that believe in that and um, long for that hope uh, were, are united in the promise of inheritance and what that means is um, God has adopted us to be his children um, before he even created us and um, it's through Christ that we are now accepted in that adop adoption and it's through the Holy Spirit that we are able to um, look forward to returning to Christ as we seek to live for him free of sin um, so it's a huge concept a huge big picture thing but it's also very simple and it doesn't have anything to do with race. It doesn't have anything to do with um, sin or anything like that or any sort of prejudice. It's accepting Christ and what he's done for us. And in that acceptance, we are brothers and sisters. Like literally, it talks about us being adopted into that. So we are brothers and sisters through Christ, uh, regardless of where you come from and who you are. And so we look forward to that and being uh, in his kingdom as he makes this new earth um, as it's talked about in Revelation 21. So so what can you sum that up into some points that people can um, you know take from that as to yeah can you can you just sum that up? Yeah, so when you look at um Christ you don't really think about things like racism and think like those things don't matter anymore and what you should be looking forward to and what you should be living for is um getting yourself right with him to be um a uh a child of God um, so you pray to him, you have a com conversation with him continuously, um, and you ask for discernment and uh, perspective as to who he's made you to be uniquely and how that fits in with the body. Um, but it doesn't need to be uh, so black and white, you know, uh, you just look forward to his promises. No pun intended. Yeah. Um, I, I want to push back on that. From a pastoral perspective, how does that answer somebody who's dealing with systemic oppression? Like, how is that comforting to somebody with systemic oppression who's dealing with it, who's dealing with um, sort of you know, let's, let's put it in the context of uh, a school, right? They're walking the halls of school, and every day they go to school, they're being bullied. 
So, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think that, the, that those points are true. But uh, my pushback would be, as Christians, how do we respond to the bullying? But so, so, go ahead. The, the Bible talks about that, too. And there's plenty of examples of people that have been through that same thing. Christians, as they were building the church, have been martyred throughout its history of making an established Christian church, whether or not that's Catholic. And um, you mean whether or not that was Roman Catholic? Yeah, yeah. All like all the different branches of Christianity have seen martyred mar- mar- martyrs and the upbringing of it. Okay. Um, but God tells us to, (laughs) I just, let me, let me just state this for the record. There's a much larger discussion about Roman Catholicism in there. Yeah. Just (laughs) continue. God encourages us in doing his work that that's to be expected. And if we're going to, uh, live by example of what Christ did for us, he is a prime example of looking forward to that same sort of treatment as we stay consistent in his calling. So what, so again, I agree with you, but from a pastoral perspective, how do you address somebody who is dealing with systemic oppression? Who's dealing with irrational systemic oppression? Caitlin, you want to say something? Yes, I do. <laughs> um, I mean, I think first, like, validate what they're feeling because they're going to feel hurt. And it's like, yes, the people that are bullying you, they are sitting against you. I think that the hope of the gospel is that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our suffering. Um, and then, like, if they're if they're being bullied in school, like, like, there's so many ways you can go with that, like, for how you can practically help them. Um, you can like talk with their teacher or whatever, find out if the teacher's aware and find out ways that you can like address that um, even with the other students <laughs> that are bullying them and figure out ways to like bring each other together. But I think the, the only way to really bring people together is um, by having a fundamental understanding that we're all made in the image of God because otherwise we only see each other. If we have a common vertical relationship that we're all made in the image of God, we've all fallen, um, then we actually have common ground with other people that may be vastly different than us. Um, But without that, without Christianity, then we're left with these horizontal relationships. And one of the world's responses is grouping people together in uh, by age, by class, by race, by gender, and there isn't really a, a, a way for you to have solidarity with or understanding or compassion with someone who's that different with you because you don't have that common vertical um, relationship. And so I feel like that's the uniqueness of the Christian response. Um, and I think we need to, as the church, be good at mobilizing that and being able to stay clear on that being able to practically help people when they're being bullied, when they're being uh, oppressed, because the, the Bible gives us the reasons to do so. Um, is there, I feel like there's more, a lot more that I could say on that, but it depends on um, 
where you guys want to go with that or if other people want to chime in. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still really I I mean I like what you have to say. It's eloquent, but it feels very cerebral, right? It feels very philosophical in nature. But I'm looking for really the practical, you know, like somebody, you know, Isabella here. She's black. She goes to public school or goes, you know, out into the street, and she's driving, and a cop pulls her over, you know. You know, like, it's that cliche, you see it in, like, TV, right? Where they mm-hmm. say, like, I had to have that conversation with my kid. Like, don't resist, don't whatever. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about, right? I think so. Yeah. Like, what do you say in a situation like that? What, as, as a Christian, from a Christian perspective, when there is a systemic reality, what do you say, what do you do? Is something like protesting, is that appropriate? Is, um, I mean, I'm just going to go out on a limb and throw it out there, even though I think we all know the answer, but is rioting appropriate? Um, is is um, teaching, is teaching um, rules, you know, knowing your rights and, and, and fighting the man, you know, um, and sort of being, having an attitude, um, where you like like what what is how do how do we yes uh, how do we problem solve that how do we unpack that for people who are experiencing that because though i and i'll admit this though i have experienced racism um and i feel like the racism that i've experienced has been directed towards me even by um even by black people I recognize that the racism that I've experienced is not even near the same as what as what has been infuriating people, you know? Um, so from a pastor's perspective, like I can give them theological answers and, and that's good and that's fine. Um, but there's more to it that that I'd like, I don't know, I'd like your guys' feedback on. Oh, you know? I'm struggling. Because God tells us to, when our enemies are persecuting us, you offer the other cheek or you kill them with kindness sort of situation where um, you, when, like, y- you say things or you do things that will shock them or convict them in their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes back to the Old Testament even. Um, so there's that. But then, on the other hand you um you fight back racism with giving them a different perspective but if you aren't able to do that god tells you to be forgiving and to be loving even to your enemies as if you're loving yourself um so without doing any of those things without um offering them gentleness or patience or biblical wisdom or trying to like see things in their perspective or anything uh you're stuck with anger and help hopelessness and um, so problem so okay so i'm with you so problem solve how you offer that that's the question it's not it's not of course you want to offer biblical um advice and um doctrine and i think that they're i think 
I have very specific thoughts on this, um, but I, I really want to hear the discussion, you know? Of course you offer those things. How do you offer those things in a way that it is meaningful and received? That's the question. Anyone? Bueller? Isaiah, you've been quiet for a while. What do you think? Nothing? Um, there we go. Good. <laughs> My mind's kind of in the, the same place that, that Caitlin and, and Jake's was where um, where we need to acknowledge those things that are there and, uh, and take the next step. But I, uh, I really don't know uh, how to, like... Uh, make my words what's that called i don't know how to speak articulate articulate there you go thanks jake Uh, i struggle with that too articulate that process or really the steps of that and that's the difficulty right that's that's the difficulty i think one of the one of the things that we run into a lot is even though we may recognize that something is bad, when we don't know what to do, we do nothing. And so because we're not, you know, because we're not doing anything um, out of sort of a deer in the headlights uh, movement, I guess that would be the opposite of movement, out of a sort of deer in the headlights effect, it then comes across that we don't want to do anything or that we are, um, you know, some have described it as sitting in privilege or whatever, but really it's just being dumbfounded. <laughs> um, I think it's inappropriate for the record. I think that Christians have faced, Christians throughout the centuries, as Jacob, you said, have faced oppression in multiple ways at multiple times in all sorts of different cultural settings with, quite frankly, worse things than even uh, even America at the height of its slavery. Um, there's all sorts of negative, just nasty, wicked things that have happened over the over the centuries, and Christians have always had an answer to how to deal with that in a meaningful and effective way. And one of the things that I have to question is why we have such a hard time finding an answer to that today. Mm-hmm. Why that's so difficult. Are you raising your hand, Isaiah? Is that what that was? No. Okay. Um, And like I said, I have very specific thoughts on that, but I really wanted to get your guys' thoughts and see if you guys had brainstormed beyond the... um, Brainstormed beyond the the philosophies. Um, Do you guys... Like, do do you know what what churches are doing, for instance? Um, I like. I think Isaiah, you said that there was a bunch of churches who were joining a protest. Do you think that that is the appropriate way of dealing with it, of giving a meaningful answer? You think that's meaningful? What do you think? I've seen. Oh, uh, hold on, I just. Oh, I just, sorry. Hold hold your thought though, Isaiah. Go for it. Um, I don't think like you were saying we have a lot of freedom in our in our relationship with God and, and each other, and I I don't think that a peaceful protest is like innately wrong. Like, I don't think that there's something wrong with that. Um, but honestly, I don't really know what the, I, like, I don't know what the 
if there is one correct path to go about it, I don't think that there is. Um, yeah. I think, I think protesting makes sense. Um, the reason why I haven't personally been involved in a protest is with one school currently, but um, because so many of them are turning violent currently, that's something that, that being involved in one is a little bit more difficult um, because I think it should be explicitly peaceful. Um, I do think it makes sense to push for reform it, it, with the law enforcement, police brutality issue specifically. Um, there is like some reform measures that I've heard proposed that do actually make a lot of sense. That's not just <laughs> abolish the police. It's like, make sure that there's um, like the, poli the public police unions have a lot of issues and maybe we don't need those. Um, police officers get unique immunities for even when they're being charged with police brutality or um, having killed someone who's unarmed or what have you. Um, and so I think Christians should be a part of that in thinking through, talking through, and coming to reasonable resolutions that could help. Um, I think also providing a unique community because a lot of this, um, especially the police minority relationship comes from brokenness in communities. And so if the church is being the church, the church will step in and help in really practical ways in being neighbors to their neighbors. Um, and if you're doing that, then I think that can heal a lot of the hurt. Um, doing that intentionally with the between the police community and the um, black community or the minority community, wherever the current issue is in the local community. So, um, because like if police are seen as the enemies by the minorities, um, that's an issue. And if police see minorities as likely to be violent, likely to set fires, that's also an issue, obviously. And I feel like trying to heal that divide by building communities together. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, there's so many ways like you can be the church together, um, but just helping out practically, supporting one another, charities, um, so that you're actually coming together around something. Um, I feel like that on a larger scale is helpful, would be helpful. Uh, and being and just being willing to have conversations like this, uh, honestly and openly. I, I, of course, I think that's already been said, but um, if we can't actually talk about it seriously, then um, we're not gonna get to the community building, obviously. Um, what do you guys think, oh, wait, Jacob, you had something to say. Yeah, I Go did. Go for it. Okay. Do you remember? Yeah. Okay. I have a couple things just to respond to. Yeah, you with. do it. So, um, first of all, to answer the first question, uh, you mentioned um, something about like what we to are to remember, or oh, why is it so hard for us to answer this question? Mm -hmm. uh, and I just immediately thought of. Uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah. And how they... Um, Mishael... Han, uh, Az what is it? Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Book of Daniel, Chapter 4, I want to say. Yeah, three or four. I think it's four. Yeah. Continue. Okay. 
Anyway, so I don't want to tell the whole story. Yeah. Basically, their faith uh, pushed them literally into a fire. And they um, were in there, just them three, but the person that made them go into that fire saw another in there. um, And they came out unscathed. Um, I think that's what our calling is to do, is through our faith... um, and knowing God and having our trust in Him, we, as believers, take our brothers and sisters and we jump in. Um, what I've seen, though, and this is to answer the question of what we're supposed to do modernly, mo- like modernly. Yeah. Uh, I've seen churches walk down the street, uh, just singing um, gospel mm-hmm. and um, worship. Uh, and it was like a block of people singing this song. Mm-hmm. So hundreds of people that were doing it. And um, it was one of the m- most beautiful things I saw on the internet. And it kind of gave me like a better sense of hope because all I, see- I was seeing was just either riots or people that don't like riots. And then a feud between the two. Or a feud, I mean. A feud between the two. But when I saw that... I I felt like that was a good approach to it. It's a peaceful thing. It's also um, you're giving the gospel out, and then you're also praising God, and you're also bringing others into it, and you're also learning worship songs. And I don't think you could go wrong with that. So you're saying like a demonstration would be a good way to a good way to yeah. To I just do haven't that. heard of it. Something that's like that. but something that's more. Um, more like a revival. Yeah. Okay. Um, so one of the things that we face in, in trying to be meaningful and trying to give a meaningful response, a, a meaningful Christian response, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're going to wrap up our discussion fairly soon. I can tell Isabella here is getting real tired. Um, <laughs> but um, is one of the things that we face is that we have competing philosophical um uh, methodologies that are vying, so competing ideas, we'll just say that, there competing ideas that are vying for, that are trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to like <laughs> translate myself. We, there's, there's ideas out there that are not necessarily Christian. There you go. There you go. That's the basics. That, that are like seeping into the church. Thank you, Isaiah. Um, that, he's clapping for me. That are, <laughs> that are seeping into the church um, and seeping into our discussion and uh, make it hard for us to have a meaningful dialogue uh, with the people that are truly going through oppression um, and that even extend the oppressors into the church itself. And so I actually thought that I was going to have to do this, but Caitlin is here and I feel like Caitlin can speak to this maybe more eloquently than I can. So. Um, can you talk about just not too much, but you know enough to give the basics of <laughs> enough to give the basics of some of the things, some of the ideologies that are sort of becoming a part of the Christian discussion when they probably shouldn't be. When, and when I say probably, I mean just shouldn't be. I love how you phrase that. Can you talk about this, but not too much? Yeah, you got me. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. Something that's really prominent right now is a theory called critical race theory. And 
you probably won't hear it called by its title very often, but you'll hear the same terms. Um, and they are Christian terms, but they're used to have different meanings. And so it's a, it is a different worldview and it conflicts with the Christian worldview on a few important issues. And so they use terms like the oppressor and the oppressed, but they use those to be um, completely like blanket statements where if you are white, then you are an oppressor. And if you are not white, then you are the oppressed. Um, if you are male, you are an oppressor. And if you're a female or a non-binary, then you are oppressed. Um, and so it creates these categories and an outflowing of that would be intersectionality, which then goes into all the other aspects of gender and, and uh, age and economic status and what have you. But some of the main issues in, in which it differs between Christianity is how it approaches epistemology and identity and justice. So with the oppressor-oppressed dynamic, the idea is that there is a overarching hegemonic narrative that is promulgated and um, exclusively made by the oppressed class, because it's a class. You don't actually have to do anything that's explicitly, um, it, it's explicitly immoral or racist to be of the oppressed class. It's just how uh, part of your identity of like, like who you are, like being male or female or being white or being Hispanic or black or what have you. And so with that overarching narrative, it's created by the um, by those in power to keep them in power. Um, unfortunately, that means that in the West, since we have a culture um, of reason in focusing on scripture to more or less extent, but um, when, it, when you're talking in the Christian church, scripture would probably be put into this category as well, unfortunately. Um, those things are seen as being used as tools um, to spread a narrative that is counter to what the oppressed person actually experiences. And so the oppressed person's experience um, is what we should actually be focusing on for truth. That's the epistemology, how we know what we know aspect of it. Um, whereas from the Christian perspective, like one group doesn't have a special revelation in like how reality is just based on the color of our skin. Um, and so, and from the Christian's perspective, like we're just called to love one another. We're called to hear one another and empathize with our each other's experiences and understand how that affects how we think. Um, but we are called to think. We are called to go primarily to the scripture to determine how to live our lives and how reality is. Um, which brings it to the next issue of, um, ties in with the identity issue. Uh, as I was talking about earlier, with Christianity, we have a vertical relationship that defines who we are first. Uh, that doesn't mean that suddenly all other barriers, like there's no, no longer any distinction. We all become just these little robots. No, no, we obviously still remain unique and diverse, uh, and that reflects the glory of God. Um, but our primary identity is it being made in his image and being called and being loved by God. Those are, those are our foundational identities. Whereas the critical race theorist says, no, first you are black, first you are a man, first you are a woman, um, which is divisive. And it creates, uh, it, it emphasizes that distinction where between the oppressor and the oppressed. Um, and there's no foundation for the, um, for the oppressed person to sympathize with the oppressor uh, or vice versa. And then finally, 
justice is uh, seen in a very temporal sense or a very earthly sense. Um, it must be accomplished in this life. We must have a utopia in this life. Um, and there's kind of a moral asymmetry as well, um, where the oppressed are, are expected to experience bitterness, expected to experience um, anger, regardless of if it's justified or what have you. Um, and so it changes the standards based on um, your race or your gender um, or other factors. And so all of those things are at odds in some way or another with the Christian worldview. And so because of that, if we allow it to seep into the church and define how we approach and try and, and fight racism, it's going to not be from like the Christian worldview. And so it's not the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Thank you. Are you, uh, are you hiding your lab coat? I feel, <laughs> I just feel like you're, you're so equipped you're so equipped in how you speak. Like it feels like you prepared a speech. Um, but Did I, I mentioned I've been talking about this since 1130 this morning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's been a long day. I feel like it wouldn't <laughs> matter. I feel like it wouldn't matter if you, if you weren't. So I just, anyway, it's a oh. gift. I appreciate it. Um, job, so let me unpack it for the, for the more, for, for those of us who are a little more dense, um, <laughs> like myself, um, yeah, towards me too. The camera could see it. So basically, the long and short of what Caitlin is saying is that there's a certain way of viewing things, which is that if you don't have the same experiences as other people, then you can't comment. Um, and if you, and so there's that. If you don't have the same experiences as other people, you can't comment. And experiences are formed essentially by uh, a distinction between the bully and the person being bullied and the only real truth is is the person who's been bullied not the bullier um and so therefore the the people who are bullied the most in multiple facets of their life they're the ones who know the full truth and even if you aren't the one who's doing the bullying but you're in the family of the person who's doing the bullying. You are um, somehow also a, a bully. Um, and so this, so basically what's being said is, hey, if, you, if your brother bullies me, then I can't talk to you or you can't possibly know my plight, um, so on and so forth. And, and so this kind of goes, well, not kind of, it absolutely goes against the face of Christianity in that according to Christ and according to his apostles, those distinctions no longer matter um, because our identity isn't in what we do. It's in the fact that we're all, we've now understood through God's revelation that we're image bearers of God, all of us. And that's what we identify with. And what we do comes from the fact that we're image bearers of God. And when we pay attention to that, then we don't have to worry about any of the other aspects anymore. And from a practical standpoint, we see this outworking um, at a very interesting time. I feel like the planes always fly overhead while you're talking. <laughs> Thought it was a helicopter from the riots again. Oh, it could be. Um, no, seriously, the other night at the church, we heard we there was helicopters flying overhead. Several. There was protesters and, the, and there were police... Uh, 
Um, loudspeakers. Loudspeakers, like saying, like, go we are here way. to protect your First Amendment rights. Go this you know, way. go this way. Um, was that what? a cat? Was, I think that was a cat. What is happening? <laughs> Who has the sound effects and why don't I have them? Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, the point is that makes it very, if, if that's the ideology that, that is coming in to the church, then that's going to make conversations very difficult from, because from a Christian perspective, our identity is in Christ and it has nothing to do with where we came from. And on that matter, our identity needs to um, continue to be in Christ and we are told to not let where we came from um, change that. We're, we're in fact told that our relationship with Christ needs to be transformative. We need to put our old self to death. Um, and so basically when we're having these conversations, if somebody comes with a worldview, uh, and this happens in Christianity a lot, specifically with younger people in Christianity, um, if somebody comes with a worldview and says, you can't understand where I'm coming from because you are, you are in the family of the oppressors, even if you are not specifically oppressing me, because you're in the family of the oppressors, uh, you can't understand where I'm coming from. Um, well, basically the conversation is, is, is done. I mean, what, what, what conversation can we have? What growth can we have? What real unity can we have? So it goes against the face of, um, it goes against the face of everything that Christ died for when you operate from that perspective. You, and, I, and I just want to stress, you don't need to have that perspective to acknowledge the fact of uh, systematic oppression. Like, you can say that there is oppression that's taking place. I, I, I want to be clear, like, the environment that the scriptures were written in was consistently oppressive. You know, so you, you, you have them being conquered by kingdoms where they weren't treated so nicely as they are now. Um, and this goes, you know, from what Assyria to Babylon to Medo-Persia to Greece to Rome. Like, I mean, <laughs> systematic oppression was, was, the, was the world um, in which this was, uh, was the... Um, this was the world in which the scriptures were birthed and the concept of racism didn't exist because everybody was racist. It was tribalistic in nature. Um, and so the way in which, the way in which we view things now is very anachronistic. Um, and it's very specific to our culture. But if you go back and you look at scripture and you look at the, the place in which scripture was written and the things that they were dealing with, they were dealing with much worse things than what we deal with in our culture. And the level of oppression was much worse. Um, and yet what you don't see them doing is you don't see them saying, you can't possibly relate to me. But instead you find Christians throughout our history books being honored um, almost as if they're weirdos, being honored for gathering together beyond social class, beyond tribalism, beyond, you know, ethnicity, beyond even um, uh, social statuses. Like you have to understand in their culture, women and children weren't really people, you know? But what you have is you have Christians in the first century who are going beyond that. You have Christian men who, who are being admonished from leadership to love their wives, even though according to that culture, 
their wives were essentially baby making machines and they really loved their their cohorts and their concubines and things like that um so so this this idea of christians gathering together it defies things like ethnicity things like the tribe you come from things like your whether you're poor or you're rich and yet what we're being told now what's coming into this into the church sort of new legalism what's coming into the church is basically saying hey if you're not oppressed like i am then i'm not there's no way we can possibly gather with each other not not in physicality not in spirit um, not in mentality not in philosophy there's nothing you can do about it and all you can do is feel bad about it um i think you know as christians we have to reject that and there's a <clears throat> to me it's a three-pronged issue okay it's it's a three um there's there's three basic issues so the first issue and, and again this is i'm problem solving here right so let me think about this it's late um okay so the first issue to me what is the first issue to me I had this in my head. Justine, I was talking about this with earlier today. Do you remember what my first issue was? The example of the, the heart and the... Yeah, that's a part of it. Surgery. Oh, here's what it is. I got it, I got it. The first issue is that systemic oppression, racism, things like that, those things are real. Um, to what degree they're real within a certain community, I don't know, and I don't honestly care in terms of whether we should have an argument about that. I think you can just admit that in every system, no matter where you go, no matter how good the system is, there, there's the possibility for corruption and the probability for that given enough time. And I think, you know, when you have a venerable system that's been around for, you know, a couple hundred years, uh, yeah, of course there is corruption that is living within that and it's a living system, yeah, 100%. So to me, I don't need to be convinced that there is such a thing as uh, uh, systemic corruption and, and evil and wickedness and so on and so forth. That's number one. So I don't even really want to have the conversation about whether that sort of thing exists because it's not hard to convince a thinking person that that's the case. But you have to ask yourself the question, why? Why is that the case? And the reason why is the wickedness of man. That's the reason why. The reason why is because human beings are flawed from the fall. Because at essentially the point of creation, I guess we don't know how much time took place between this and the fall, but essentially, you know, in the book of Genesis, in chapter 3, it says that, you know, man broke God's rule, and when he did that, he fell, and there has been a consequence ever since that has essentially destroyed us, uh, you know, our morality. And we are inclined, the Bible says that we come out of the womb with lies in our mouth. So we're inclined toward wickedness. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts are evil. And when we talk about racism, when we talk about systemic oppression, like hateful bullying behavior, and we, we say that it's there, we should neither be surprised by it, first of all, um, nor should we deny that it's that it's in existence but we also should not think that it is anything but a symptom of the heart issue so i think a lot of the problem so this moves to my second point a lot of the problem is that the issue gets dealt with 
um, as if it is a heart issue. And when I say as if it is a heart issue, what I'm saying is people want to make racism into an identity. They want to say that, you know, that, uh, that this person is a racist um, in the negative as much as they want to say that, you know, I am a uh, homosexual or a heterosexual as, a, as an issue of identity. But that's not where I, our identity lies. Our identity is not founded in how we perform in reality. Our identity is based upon, through God's revelation, the fact that we're made in the image of God. And so a racist is a person who, in his image of God, is hateful in his heart and then performs his hate against people of other races. Don't think for a second that that person, if he was in the room, you know, on a deserted island with a person of the same race as him, would not act hatefully against that person also. It's a hate issue in the heart. It's not, it, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a performance issue, or it is a performance issue. Racism is a performance issue. The perspective issue is that the heart is hateful. And therefore, to my third point, in order to change that, I guess it's still a part of my second point, in order to change that, the heart has to be changed. That's the only way to deal with it. The heart has to be changed. And there are real stories of people coming to real transformative experiences where they lose their racism because their heart is changed when they have an encounter with God who shows them a transcendent reality to the definitions they've put on themselves. The definitions where they've basically taken different ways to describe themselves and mistaken it for who God actually made them as, as image bearers of God first. And it's, it's really a form of idolatry. But the thing is, that requires a transformative experience and that has to be done. The only real transformation that we can ever give to anybody really comes through God's counsel and the hearing of God's word. So where is the Bible in all of this? And that's a question I have for the Christians. Just like what Jacob said, you know, there's something beautiful to hearing Christians going, you know, marching around and singing God's um, gospel to the community. There's something there. Where am I seeing Christians armed with the sword of truth rather than the sword of, well, the sword's not a right word, but, um, you know, armed with the sword of truth rather than the sword of hate? Where am I seeing Christians with their Bibles? In fact, if if they had a Bible and they were preaching from the scripture, the statutes of God, which display God's sense of justice, not man's sense of temporal justice, like what Caitlin was saying, if they had that, then that would actually give impasse for transformation. And they would be ashamed and convicted when they read the passages that actually talk about, you know, having witnesses and so on and so forth. Like our legal system is based upon the scripture. So how are you going to, how are you going to um, stand there and do injustice when you have, when you're quoting from the Bible, which goes against those things? It, you, the Bible needs to come back into the culture. The problem is you can't introduce the Bible into the culture through, the, through things like protests. Protests are good. They, there's nothing wrong with the protest. There's nothing wrong with the demonstration. 
but that's a performance issue. It's short-sighted. What it does is it introduces to the already established kingdom or government, hey, you have a problem with the way your system works. And that's good, but it deals with the performance issue. It's not a transformative issue, right? You can't legislate morality. And that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with an identity issue, the moral nature of man, his ontological essence before God. So what needs to happen is a grassroots effort. And I think, Caitlin, you were talking about communities and you were saying like on a community level, this is where change needs to happen. I agree. It needs to happen on a familial level. Children need to be taught the statutes of God. They need to be taught that their identity is in God and that they are to be unified with each other and not to be separated from each other. If you are teaching your child, if, you're, if you are a person who's a minority and you're teaching your child to fear the system rather than to respect the system because it is what God has put in place, then you are destroying the possibility for that child to understand God's sovereignty. If you are a minority and you're teaching your, your child to view their identity as um, as based in how they're as based in descriptors like their skin color, then how are they going to understand that their identity is bigger than that and is based upon the fact that they're an image bearer of God? And when they grow up, what is this going to look like? It's going to look like fear, and it's going to look like um, uh, uh, aloneness, and this is what we're running into is that we have whole generations of people for several years now who are growing into this reality that's been being pushed on them ever since the civil rights movement. And for the record, don't get me wrong. I really, really respect the civil rights movement. I've even, I've been to Birmingham. I've been in, uh, I've been in, MLK's home and I um, actually it was really cool. I got to I got to tour it. We were the only ones there, and and I got to tour it and like sit there in his kitchen, like where he prayed and decided to join the civil rights movement. I have a lot of respect for for that. Um, but what was the point I was making? I got sidetracked by my super cool memory. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember the point I was making. So, but but basically, it has to start on a grassroots level. Families need to teach their children not fear. They need to teach their children about who God is. When they teach their children the statutes, when they teach their children uh, to love the Scripture, to view it as holy and not just sacred, when they teach their children to be involved in the community. And they teach their children that none of those things are dictated by the descriptors of things like skin color. Then their children have a fighting chance at having the utopia that people want. But if we keep going with this concept of intersectionality uh, and critical race theory and all of these things, I mean, we're doomed. And those discussions don't belong in the Christian worldview. What are we offering to the world if like we're, we're supposed to be prepared to offer the hope of Christ 
at all times. Like, what are we offering to the world if when we have a discussion about these things, we don't bring that hope with us? Instead, we just bring another, um, a, another sacred idea to put on the shelf next to all the other sacred ideas. The reason why we believe in Christ is because he is holy, set apart, different. I don't, how can we even begin to problem solve? How can we even begin to problem solve if we don't view that as the truth? Anyway, it is 10.58. Does anybody have anything else they would like to say uh, before we close out our 10th episode? I just wanted to say briefly that for your first point about um, you can't empathize because you haven't experienced this and you'll never experience this. I was having a discussion with my friends recently about how, yeah, no, I may never experience exactly what you've experienced. Honestly, a lot of people won't experience the exact same things in life. But we can actually have empathy because God gave us the same, like, primal emotions. And so if we're able to actually share emotions, um, we can have empathy, we can grow. Um, And I I think I had something else to say with your second point, but honestly, I feel like you summarized everything really well, so I don't know if there's much to add. Yeah, seriously, Christ first, gospel first, because that's what changes people. Thank you. you. What do you got there, Isaiah? Nothing. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. What? Final thoughts. Okay. Well, like Caitlin said, you summarized that really well, but I've definitely seen a lot of that attitude and like uh, identifying uh, oneself or other people with that like racism. And I think that that's a much larger issue. Like you're saying, it's an issue of the heart where basically they just like uh, taking the identity on uh through man rather than through scripture um and i definitely believe that that issue cannot be solved unless it is done uh in a godly perspective and with scripture and truths in mind cool what do you think isabella um i think that everything you said so far like you guys all have really good ideas and i definitely agree with all of them i don't really know if i have anything to add on but I don't know if that cool. anything to add on. Jake? Um, yeah, I do. I think that uh, you touched base on this, but I want to emphasize it. And um, we took, uh, like it seems like we took God out of our country, and especially in the youth. Um, and the public schools, I feel like, have been more and more secularized and I f- definitely feel like that, I can like just see it from um, going through uh, first grade all the way into college. And now I'm like a, an associate's degree, dang near. Um, and I'm like seeing how uh, that has affected the student's mind um, where you don't really have a choice uh, to give your opinion and a biblical view without facing um, a kind of like a lingering form of judgment or like feeling lame or whatever. And if that was 
more uh, accepted or if people, I guess the school system encourage that more, I think that you would start to see that change. But I think it starts in that area where you have the majority of your kids um, being developed from age five and up. And uh, what's being put in their minds is um, going to affect them throughout their entire life. Um, but as soon as you take God out of that equation, it's a roll of the dice and anything that lands is going to be sinful and that's just the way it is but I feel like if you do want to see change that's the first place you would look Isaiah were you about to say something you're like pressing your screen okay um Justine no I agree with what you guys are saying I have nothing to add I think you guys did a great job (laughs) so I'll go in reverse um, just to summarize at least my last points, look, it starts at a grassroots level. It's not done by big by big things. Um, it's done by small things that add up. And that has to happen in the home and then extend outward into, into the community. And if you really want to affect change and you really don't believe in oppression, don't believe in racism, think that those performance issues are terrible and they reflect a bad heart, then don't do those at home. Don't do that with your family. Teach them to view things correctly. And how do they get a correct view? They get that through the lens of scripture. They get that through a transcendent worldview that doesn't describe them, but it defines them. And when you look at how God does that, then that gives you the ability to to actualize that in in a much larger way and to give meaningful responses to the real pain that people have. So, you know, I I guess I just want to say in closing, like, this is a super volatile subject. Um, It's a very dynamic subject. And... We don't pretend to have all the answers here, and we're not even going to try to meet your quotient on the intersectionality scale because it's an impossibility. Um, But what we can tell you is that if if you're willing to come to God for the answers and let Him define you rather than you know, based on your descriptions, you know, through culture or anything else, which by the way is the same standard that we all should hold as Christians that has been historically held by Christians, then I think that there's a real possibility for healing that can take place. And we want to have those conversations with you and we want to problem solve with you. And there's a lot of people out there who are really confused right now and who are really hurt, and on all of those counts, rightfully so. So, um, let's not shut down. Let's not shut down. Let's believe that this Bible that we hold is sacred is actually holy, and let's come together underneath who God is, and let's really put to work at a grassroots level, starting with our families, and do the work there. You don't need these large movements, even though those are good. You don't need these large movements. Enough of these small movements where we take each other in and we love each other tenderheartedly and we put our whole heart toward God wholeheartedly 
will add up to a major change. Um, all right, so that is our show for tonight. Our lines are gonna be open for another hour or so, so feel free to reach out. Remember, if you wanna to donate to our services or learn more about us, you can check us out at abfpdx.org. Um, we'll be back next week on Thursday. Our time ends on, uh, our, our season ends uh, the, what, when is it? Last week. When does it end? The last week of June. There you go. Our season ends the last week of June. But uh, we have shows until then. Uh, you can always check out our Facebook page. Uh, our counseling accounts are always on. You can send your messages and topics to discuss. So good night and stay vigilant. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.